0: Good morning. Welcome to Emmanuel. With joy and delight we gather to praise our holy God. With reverence and awe we approach our gracious God. We give thanks that God understands us and does not want us to be that which we were never created to become. Creating God, you call us to worship you as your children, made in your image with a divine spark within Each of us, we give thanks that God understands us and encourages us to grow in our knowledge of God's awesome holiness. Glorious God, you invite us to sink our roots deep into your love and holiness and grow stronger each day in our faith in you. We give thanks that God understands us and that the fruits we bear are consistent with what God created us to become. We gather to worship and praise our supporting and caring God, amen. I'd like to invite Steve Bagnoff. Steve is one of our elders, uh, and he's also our preacher for the day.
1: Will you join me in prayer? God of the living, with all your creatures, great and small, we sing your bounty And your goodness. For in the harvest of land and ocean, in the cycles of the seasons, and the wonders of each creature, you reveal your generosity. Teach us the gratitude that dispels envy, that we may honor each gift as you cherish your creation and praise you in all times and places, that this day may be holy. Good and joyful, we pray in gratitude to you, O Lord. That we may offer to you our worship and praise along with the work of our hands, minds, and hearts. We pray in gratitude to you, O Lord. That we may strive for the well-being of all creation. We pray in gratitude to you, O Lord. That in the pleasures and pains of life, we may know the love of Christ and be thankful. We pray in gratitude to you, O Lord. That we may be bound together by your spirit in communion with all your holy ones, entrusting one another and all our life to Christ, we pray in gratitude to you, O Lord. That we may always and everywhere give thanks to you, O God, for all of our blessings and giftedness, we pray in gratitude to you, O Lord. Scripture reading for today is from Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. Dale, sounds like the mic is a bit hot. I'm feeling like I'm getting some feedback. Romans chapter 1. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures, concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the spirit of holiness Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God, whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his Son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you. Always in my prayers making request, if perhaps now at last by the will of God I may succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you So that I may impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. When David asked me to preach this morning, I started thinking about what I wanted to talk about. And, you know, it's. The hard part about preaching is when you have an open book. Like you, he said, you can preach on whatever you want. That's the most difficult sermon to preach. It's like, whatever you want to preach on. I'm like, oh, wow, whatever. Just give me an assignment. So, anyway, as I was thinking about what to, to, to speak about this morning, I thought about this passage of Scripture and I thought about two sermons that I wanted to preach from this passage of Scripture. So, I sent David an email back and I said, i preach from Romans 1, and it might be this or this I haven't decided yet. And I still haven't decided. <laughs> so I'm going to let you decide. You have two sermon options this morning that you can choose from. <laughs> it's like watching a YouTube video, right? I want to watch this one or this one. Which one? The first one is entitled, Rescuing the Resurrection from Rose Hills. Do you guys know what Rose Hills is in this part of town? Rose Hills is one of the largest cemeteries in the world in Whittier, California. It's where we buried all of our people. My parents are buried at Rose Hills. So the first one is, res- what's the cemetery here? I don't even know. Forest Lawn. Re- you know, But Rose Hills goes with rescuing resurrection. It's good preaching. Resurrecting... Or rescuing the resurrection from Rose Hills. That's your first option. So we'll talk about what we're missing from the resurrection. The other one is, if you believe in grace, you should be a charismatic. So, what would you like to hear? How many of you want to hear rescuing the resurrection from Rose Hills? Let me see. Let me just... Really? You want the other one?
0: I just love that you're setting up half the people to be disappointed because they don't get their preference. You are a brave preacher. God bless you.
1: I, I could offer to do this. like Later this afternoon, I'll, I'll put the other one up on the church's YouTube channel. Um, both? You're, you want to be here that long? I could do both. They it, it actually dovetail quite nicely. How many of you want to hear, if you believe in grace, you should be a charismatic? I think the first one has it. (laughs) All right. Have it your way. So let me scroll through the first sermon and get to the second one. There we go. Is it shorter? Yes. (laughs) Who asked that question? I want to know. Who asked that question? Lisa Lisa Yoder, is that you? You asked that question? Um, It is shorter. It is shorter. And there's a fun story at the end, so it's like your classic sermon. All right, someone asked C.S. Lewis, what makes Christianity unique? Without hesitation, and he said unequivocally, it is grace. Not the crucifixion, not the resurrection, grace. Now, this is a churched crowd. I imagine today is not the first day you've heard a sermon on grace. And I imagine you've heard so many sermons on grace, you can give me the standard church definition of grace. What is it? Someone yell it out. When you hear about grace, what does grace mean? Unmerited, Unmerited favor. All right, forget about that. Get it out of your head. Not because it's wrong. I think it's a perfectly sufficient definition of the word grace but as soon as you hear it you define it and then this is what we do as humans we dismiss it I know what that is I let it go today the exercise is to start thinking about grace in a little bit of a different way try to think about grace without using the phrase unmerited favor get that out of your head and say how would I Teach my children about grace? How would I teach uh, someone who was always mentoring about grace? Someone who I wanted to have a relationship with, how would I teach them this word grace? What does it mean? How would I communicate it? The problem with pat definitions is that they become rote and rusty. It's like the verses that we know from childhood that we just kind of keep back there in the recesses of our mind and we never revisit them. And we never think about them anew. We never, we never think about them in the way that we now live and think and move and breathe. And so they just kind of remain in that closet part of our brain. What does it mean to say we are saved by grace? What is another way to say grace it's an interesting thing if you just do an English, English word search through the Bible for the word grace uh, the English word only occurs in the Old Testament a handful of times it's less than ten I think I didn't write it down but it's not, not many in the New Testament it is all over the place but this might surprise you there's only like three or four references to the word grace in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Jesus never uses the word grace. It's a Pauline word. Paul uses it all the time. He uses it in his um, addresses, to the le- in the letters. Grace to you and peace. So we have that here in this passage as well. I think it's verse 7. Grace to you and peace. He, he shares grace with them, where he blesses them with this word grace. Now, I, I've done a couple exercises in my life just as a, a follower of Jesus to try and figure out things because very quickly I discovered that kind of the process we have with, with teaching in, in the church, even in Christian academia, is here are the right answers. Learn the right answers, and you're good. Now, that's me. I mean, I, I, was, I was the kid in school that you loved to copy off of. That was me. I loved school. I excelled in school. If I could, I would have gone to school my whole life. Now, I know for some of you, it's like, you are a crazy individual. But that's me. I'd lo- I, I would know... Mo- I mean, no sooner run to, uh, uh, um, you know, a concert than a, than a lecture. Not that I don't like concerts. But I'd rather go hear somebody speak and teach. Give me some new insight and information. So, learning the Christian way was right up my alley. Get all the right answers down. And I know them. I, I, I can tell you what, what we believe about the Trinity The hypostatic union, I can do all that stuff. And at some point it hit me, it's like, life is more than just knowing the right answers. There's more to it than that. So one of the things I challenged myself with was, try to say it in a new way. So you understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, I can give you the the standard Christian answer, the right answer, but what is the gospel? What is it? How would I communicate it? How can I now internalize it? How can I now take this rusty, rote information that I have, not that it's either of those, but that's what I've made it, out of that corner of my mind that I've checked the box, I understand what that is, therefore I'm okay, and actually say, really, what how does that translate into my life? So I try to do that with the gospel, and the first word really, in the gospel, is grace. We are saved by grace. So so how would I communicate that just to the normal person walking across the street without using church language, without even using the word grace, which I'm not saying is a bad word, but how would I do that? And so I've come up with a different word for the word grace. And for me... The word I began to use, not to say that this is like you should do this, but it's just the word I began to use to try to fill out my my understanding and my living of grace. The word was acceptance. That for me, instead of thinking about unmerited favor, when I thought about grace, I started thinking about acceptance. So God has shared grace with me. That means he's accepted me. Just as I am, which wasn't one of the the hymns you you picked. Uh, And and that's it. That's it. There's nothing else to say about it. That word just felt for me for years to be the appropriate term to think about when I thought about grace. Is that God just accepted me. Now, in this passage of scripture, the word grace occurs three times in different ways. So we have the standard word grace, and as we move through this sermon, I'm not off of grace just yet, the next word in the list is the word gratitude. And then the final word we're going to look at is graciousness. Now, if you want to know the the, the verse numbers so you can see the words I'm picking, uh, verse 7, grace to you and peace. That's the word for grace. In verse 8, I thank. I thank. Thank is a grace word. Okay, and we'll get to that in a second but in the Greek language, and I'll show it to you in a second, it has the actual word grace in the middle of it. And then the last word, the key word for our sermon, you charismatics, I'm going to make Presbyterians into charismatics, that's a feat. If I can pull that off, it'll be really good, Um, is in verse 11, so that I might impart some spiritual gift to you. That's also a grace word. All of those words in the Greek language have the word grace in them. So that's why I've chosen the words grace, gratitude, and gracious, because there's a reflection in English. Uh, I, as I mentioned earlier, have Russian background. If you read this passage in Russian, there's the same phenomenon. The word for grace, the word for gratitude, and the word for gift all have the same root word in it. They're interconnected. I don't know if that works in Spanish. If you're a Spanish speaker, check it out. I don't know if that works in Oriental languages or any other language, German or French, I don't know. But in at least English, Greek, and Russian, if I say it overly simplistically, the word for grace, gratitude, and gifts is the same word. They're interconnected and interrelated. And they really give us this full cycle of how we should live our lives according to this principle of grace. I think the first thing I want to say about grace is this. There is an optic of grace. There are some optics that go with grace. So when I think about grace and God being gracious towards me or God sharing grace with me, another way to say that is that God sees me. There are optics to grace. I think of the story of Hagar when she gets kicked out unceremoniously. That story is a horrible story. It's, it's like you just when you read it, if you read it without trying to make it right, it just tears you up. How could this happen? How could the heroes of our faith do this to this woman? And, and, and she finds herself hiding under a bush in the desert, and God finds her. He sees her. That's the only place in the Bible where a human gives God a name. And Hagar says that God is the God who sees. So when you read John 3.16, for God so loved the world, you could read it a little differently. God saw the world through the eyes of grace, God saw the world through the eyes of acceptance. said, I want to communicate to you my deep love, and the way I'm going to do that is by telling you that I see you, I see you where you are, I see you in your pain, in your brokenness, in whatever condition you think you are, I see you, and I accept you. End of story. The gospel. I think that's a marvelous rethinking of grace. And what we want to avoid, and partially what I want to avoid with the original definition, which is no longer to be spoken, um, unmerited favor, is that unmerited favor kind of skips this prequel of God's motivation and activity that leads to the actual granting of some gift. There was, there was intention before the favor, and that's part of grace. And if we're going to experience that and begin to be people who are grace people... We need to start seeing in the same way. There's an optics to grace. And then before we move on, there's um, a, a verse that I, I'm just going to throw it out because I, I didn't really fully finish framing how this would fit into the sermon. And so I just want to throw it out so you can think with me because I, I don't exactly know how to finish this part of it, but it was intriguing to me, so I'll throw it out to you so we have something to think about this week. So I don't answer every question for you. But Psalm 8411 says this, for the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. And I was intrigued with this, the first, the parallelism that's there between sun and shield, and grace and glory. Like, is grace the sun or the shield? Is glory the sun? Is there that kind of parallelism? Am I supposed to connect the dots that way? And, and how does glory relate to grace? How does God sharing his glory with us coincide with grace? Now, like I said, I, this is a, an unformed thought in this sermon, so I don't have a, a pat answer to give you. I just want to, leave you with that, maybe as a meditation for this afternoon, a conversation piece with your husband, wife, kids, or, or just something you want to think about. So that's Psalm 8411. So our first word is this word grace. It's uh, in English, we would say it charis. Okay, grace in Greek is charis. The second word that is a grace word in this passage is found in, in verse 8. He says, first I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. Now, the word gratitude or thanksgiving is the Greek word eu, karisteo, or karisto. So the prefix eu, eu is just good, it's just the prefix for good. And then you've got the word grace in there. So you want to define thanksgiving or giving thanks or gratitude, it's recognizing or acknowledging or saying that grace, the grace you've received, is good. That's thanksgiving. What you've given me is a good thing, and I thank you for it. The only appropriate response to grace is gratitude. If I had a magic pill that I could give you, that would solve every single one of your problems in life, if it was possible to create that pill, it would be gratitude. If you can begin to be a person who, at first blush, to the deepest core of your being, you could be described as a grateful person, I think that as time goes on, The issues of your life, the plagues of your life, the challenges of your life are diminished. Some form of capacity, you're able to to rise up above them, grab a hold of, of some hope in the future, and move forward. Recognizing that God is still gifting you with grace along the way. This is hard. Sometimes when you reach a point in your life where it's like, I think God's, I think God's just kind of given up on me. It's not that he doesn't love me, but it's like, you know, yeah, okay. I'm going to focus on these people over here. I still love you, but this is not the focus of my attention. I've just kind of laid you aside, and I hope you're okay. Sometimes you feel like God's treating you that way, or like just totally is, is not looking at you at all. The only way to get through that is to begin to again. See where God has given you grace. Call it good. And the times in my life where I've strayed from this, it's like I, you know, I put a different prefix in front of grace. It wasn't good, and so I found myself thinking that God didn't see me anymore. And from that place, it was hard to see him. But grace keeps telling us, God sees you. Acknowledge that grace and give thanks. Thanks is the highest form of praise. It at the same time acknowledges God's activity And includes my response to God's activity in fact thankfulness gratitude is a classic subject object activity it it can't be done in isolation it can't be done with without acknowledging the other part of the equation is your classic I and thou kind of thing it doesn't work without both those parts and in, in some ways, we've tried to do that. I've, I've heard people say, well, I'm just a thankful person without trying to, to engage in the I and now. Thankful to whom for what? There's, there's an interplay with thankfulness. It's, it's a two-way street. And so for us, it's this engagement of our response to God's grace. And it's, thank, it's thanksgiving. The activity of God and its effect on man, are tightly woven together in thanksgiving. The last word in this circle is, is found in verse 11. I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you. And again, as you see, the word is charisma, when we get the word charismatic. Uh, in Russian, it's just the same word. The word for grace is gift, and the word for Graciousness is gift. They use the same word in both verse verse 8 and 11. It's just the gift. And here's how this works. God is the one who sees. He's the one who looks and accepts and shares his love, and another good word for grace, is kindness. He shares his kindness with us. He loves us in that way. And his love is demonstrated through acceptance we respond to him with thanksgiving we recognize that god has gifted us in many ways that grace isn't just an act of salvation but it's an act of creation so that god has communicated to you grace in the way that he has made you and so personally you should thank god for the way he made you when i was in um, early years in high school my my brother-in-law dragged me to, maybe some of you are familiar with this, it's kind of a weird thing from my youth, uh, Bill Gothard's Basic Youth Conflicts. And for me it was a wild event, but I remember one thing in, in that thing is he said, please be patient, God is not finished with me yet. And you got a little pin with those letters on there, P, B, whatever that is, right? Just go through the first letters. Please be patient. God has not finished with me yet. And I was a, a kid, and if you see pictures of me as a kid, I'm not the handsome strapping man that I am now when I was a kid. <laughs> I, I was, you should laugh at this more than the first. I was gawky and geeky. Um, my, ha- my hair is red. You can't tell now because of the grain, but it was red. I mean, red. Like, not kind of red, it was red. And my hair didn't grow down, my hair grew out. I should have brought my high school graduation photo for your, your enjoyment. I was a weird looking kid and I knew it. And I didn't like myself. I didn't see God's grace in me. I didn't see his gifting in me, I couldn't get past the hair and the glasses. I couldn't get past it. And so everything was filtered through that lens so that I couldn't give thanks to God for who I was. And then you stifle how you give to others. Now, I know that God has gifted me in many ways. And I'm over that. Please be patient with me. God is still not finished with me. But I know that. And and I know that I need then to take what God has given me and not cuddle it and coddle it and hold it for myself. Because the last part of grace, the real charismatic expression that we need to be about is we need to be gift givers. And once you recognize your gift, and you recognize that it comes from grace, it's freely given to you, then the only way to function as a grace person is to be like God To see others in their need to see them to accept them as they are and to share your gift with them that's what it means to be a charismatic and and in that place you become imitators of, of God imitators of Christ and you become vehicles for God's grace I love this picture it's simple It connects me to God. It makes the things that I do easy and within my grasp because God is not asking you to do anything beyond what you are able to do, capable of doing, because he's already granted this gifting to you. And it, and it it makes us into generous people. So today, remember God's grace. Give thanks to him. And that's what you should do celebrating the Lord's table. That's why we call it the Eucharist. Here's one thing I want you to do this year because you've done the other for so long. This was part of my resurrection sermon. Is when you take the Eucharist, don't feel bad anymore. That's not the emotion that's to accompany the Lord's table. We've told you you need to come and don't take in a worthy manner. Did I say that right? Unworthy manner. Don't do that. Remember your sin. Be regretful. Be repentful. Repentant. Struggling with words today. I want you to get rid of all that. You've done enough of that in your life. This year, when you take the Lord's table, I want you to think of grace and thanksgiving. And then when you walk away from the table, maybe we can do what the disciples did, proclaim the Lord's death until he comes by walking out of the room and being gracious. All right, fun story to end. You've probably heard this poem. It's it's fun. If you've heard it, you'll enjoy listening to it again. If you've never heard it, you'll enjoy it as well. But let's close with this kind of picture of, of generosity and grace. It's called The Cookie Thief. A woman was waiting at an airport one night with several long hours before her flight. She hunted for a book in the airport shops bought a bag of cookies, and found a place to drop. She was engrossed in her book, but happened to see that the man sitting beside her, as bold as he could be, grabbed a cookie or two from the bag in between, which she tried to ignore to avoid a scene. So she munched the cookies and watched the clock, as the gutsy cookie thief diminished her stock. She was getting more irritated as the minutes ticked by, thinking, if I wasn't so nice, I would blacken his eye. With each cookie she took, he took one too. When only one was left, she wondered what to do. With a smile on his face and a nervous laugh, he took the last cookie and broke it in half. He offered her half as he ate the other. She snatched it from him and thought, Ooh, brother, this guy has some nerve, and he's also rude. Why didn't he even show any gratitude? She had never known when she'd been so galled and sighed with relief when her flight was called. She gathered her belongings and headed to the gate, refusing to look back at the thieving ingrate. She boarded the plane and sank in her seat. Then she sought her book, which was almost complete. As she reached in her baggage, she gasped with surprise. There was her bag of cookies in front of her eyes. If mine are here, she moaned in despair. The others were his and he tried to share too late to apologize she realized with grief that she was the rude one the ingrate the thief we have been given grace upon grace upon grace. Far be it from us that we leave today without thankful hearts, recognizing the vision of God, that he has seen us and loved us and gifted us. Cultivate in our hearts that seed of gratefulness and gratitude. Let it grow. Let it be the dominant feature of your life. But don't keep it to yourself. You want to share with others and be generous. You want to give your cookies away. Father, you're a good God, and sometimes it's hard for us to remember that. Sometimes we got get caught up in all kinds of stuff, and we don't see your goodness to us. So this morning, we pray that your Spirit would give us just bold, gentle Whatever kind of reminder we need of the grace that you have given to us. Give us thankful hearts and generous spirits so that we may proclaim your kingdom until you come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.